That was your daily dose of the 11am news and you're listening to Tune FM here on 106.9. I'm joined in the studio at the moment with a very special guest, UNE's very own Dr. Mary McMillan. Dr. McGillan, thank you so much for coming in and speaking with us today. Thanks for having me this morning. So, for those of you who have not been, who have not met uh, Dr. McKillen before, um, Dr. McKillen is a graduate of UNE, completing a Bachelor of Science with honors in two thousand and seven, completing a PhD uh, in a joint project between UNE and CSIRO in two thousand and thirteen, and then joining UNE as an academic staff member in the area of molecular and cellular biology. I hope I got all that right. Yeah, pretty much. Super. Uh, she's also the course coordinator for the Science Pathways, which provides avenues into universal university study for students who do not have a traditional background in science, and is also in uh, and research. Excuse me. Her area of research is carried out within the UNE's Brain and Behaviour Research Group, in which she investigates biological and genetic markings for mental illness, specifically in the area of depression, as well as doing some extra research in the area of autism spectrum disorders. That last one was of great interest to me as I am uh, on the autism spectrum. So I was quite interested to see that that is an area in which you research. It is. It's um, it's not our major focus. Obviously, we, we work more on the mental health and depression. Of course. But, um, yeah, we've, we've been doing some work on uh, ASD and kind of looking at sort of more the physiological side of things. Mm. So how different interventions actually help reduce maybe stress and anxiety levels, but looking at biomarkers and ways we can actually measure that so rather than just looking at people's opinions that sounds fascinating yeah so the reason dr mcmillan is in the studio with us today is to discuss the climate strikes that have been occurring around the world and uh that will be occurring on the 29th of november australia's next cycle um before we launch into uh discussing that because that is the uh i guess the hot button issue of the day i wanted to ask in regards to being the course coordinator for science pathways do you find that to be a rewarding experience providing students without a traditional uh, access to direct entry uh, opportunity to study a science-based degree? I do. I really I really enjoy it because I get to talk to a lot of students who, you know, they might have thought about coming to university and tried to apply for a, one of the more mainstream bachelor degrees and, and didn't have, didn't make the entry requirements. Yeah. So I think it's pretty fantastic that we actually say to them, look, maybe you don't quite meet those requirements yet, but here's a pathway for you. And so I get to have a lot of discussions with people who, yeah, weren't sure that they were actually going to be able to study at university, and they now are. People who haven't studied maybe for many years, and they're coming back and they're just loving it. Uh, or people, you know, some of them being school leavers who didn't really care about science at school, maybe didn't really apply themselves in school, and they're really... I guess, grateful that they've been given the opportunity to actually come to university. And once they get here, they can really shine. So it is really actually quite rewarding to have some of those conversations. It's really nice. Yeah, that sounds amazing. I can imagine it would be from a pers- on a personal level. I can imagine it would be greatly rewarding to be in that position. So the reason, obviously, like I said, we have you in the studio today is to discuss climate change and the responses to climate change. So uh, from a professional level, what exactly sort of what is your just tell the audience what exactly your link is to climate change in regards to research or study that you have done previously yeah sure i know it sounds a little bit strange being a a biomedical scientist and then being here to talk about climate change um obviously as a as a scientist i've always had this awareness of what the research is saying about how uh, human activity is impacting on our planet and what's going to happen as a consequence of that never really did much about it just had that awareness yes um Earlier this year, I had a fantastic opportunity to be on a trip in Antarctica with a whole bunch of other women scientists. And one of the people who joined us on that trip was Christiana Fulgueres, who was the 
Executive Secretary of the UN Commission on Climate Change. Of course. So she was the person who orchestrated the signing of the Paris Agreement. Wow. Um, so spending time in Antarctica where you can sort of see firsthand some of the impacts of, of climate change on the environment and talking to, to someone like Christiana, I came back and thought, well, you know what? I really have this obligation to do more and, and to get more involved. So I came back and um, decided to get more involved with the climate movement here. Um, in June, I actually went up to Brisbane and took part in Al Gore's um, reality, climate reality project training. So I became a part of um, that program as well, which is a program which takes just ordinary everyday people like us, like me, um, and gives them some skills to come back into their communities and educate people and advocate for action on, on climate change. And then coming back to Armadale, I started to just form a bunch of connections with with people and there's this sort of growing social group in armadale called climate action armadale which yeah. is just a whole bunch of people from the community um some from the uni some from you know all areas of life who are really have have similar to me come to that realization that we really need to take action and so yeah it's just become this group that's growing and momentum's growing so that's kind of how i got involved yeah, and, of course. And now I'm here talking to you, so that's cool. Exactly. That's uh, It's funny how things work out. When exactly, uh, how long ago was the expedition to Antarctica that you uh, went on? I was there in January. January this year, yeah. right? Yes, okay. So in that time, obviously, it's been uh, 11 months, 10 months since then. Have you, I assume it's given you uh, the ability to sort of look a bit more in depth and study a little bit more exactly how little we are doing as a planet, like a global effort to combat climate change in this day and age? Yeah, it's it's certainly given me the opportunity to be involved in a lot more conversations. And I think the thing is that a lot of people are doing a lot on an individual level. So mm. there's there's a real growing awareness and um, a lot of people are, t- are really doing that thing where they're taking individual action. We see we're all walking around now with our keep cups. Yes, and of course. We're all taking our reusable shopping bags and people are thinking about, you know, how much they drive and you know, what we consume. And a lot of people are really doing a lot as individuals to, to take action. But what we really need is the action at a government level, a policy. In terms of government, we're really not doing that That's, much yeah, at and all. And I, where Australia is ranked so low. I should have specified as well, sorry, when I meant um, doing not very much as a planet, I was referring more to governmental yeah. policy rather than... Because, yeah, like you said, um, we're, uh, strides have been made in, in from an individual level. We've got... Um, a lot less people using paper straw, uh, plastic straws rather, plastic bags. The problem is um, it, the action, the actions of individuals pale in comparison to what could be done from a governmental policy level or a corporation level. And that, I think, is what is so very frustrating to a lot of people, myself included. There, We are putting in the hard yards. We recognize and realize that this is a serious action that requires rather drastic action. Mm-hmm. But in the meantime, while we're putting all the effort in, the people that are in charge of essentially running the country put in far, far less than is required. And that um, that leads me into one of the first questions I was going to ask uh, just before we launch into talking about the actual climate strike itself. Sure. What do you think um, the what do you think the number one thing that Australia's government could be doing that would, I guess, be the best way to start uh, the conversation around action on climate change? The, I think the number one thing that we need to be doing right now is our government needs to commit to no new gas, oil, coal projects. We need to really 
just make that happen. And we're, we're sitting here in a country where we've just had uh, a huge um, mine approved up in up in Queensland with the Dani. This is not a time where we should be approving these things. We should be saying no. That's that's it. We are we're done. We are done. Uh, we're done with fossil fuels. And the, right now, if we could say that's it, there is going to be no new projects, and then commit to switching to 100% renewables. That's that's the biggest thing we could do right now. Absolutely. I, um, I've i been sort of re- doing a lot of personal research into the feasibility of solar farms and wind farms. And I think because uh, just recently there was come out that two Australian billionaires were looking at investing in an Australian solar farm and out- and exporting that energy to, I believe it was Bangladesh, which I, or uh, forgive me if I've got the country wrong, but it was a country in that area. And I think that's a really positive and I guess a good start. It's at least good to know that in all of the you know, the humdrum of la- just nothing being done. It's good to see that some people are making a positive yeah. change. Yeah, so Mike Cannon-Brooks from yes, Atlassian. Yeah, that's right. Um, he was, when I was up in Brisbane earlier this year, he was one of the people who came and spoke to us. And I mean, he's doing some amazing things in terms of inv- investing in, in renewables and, and making that happen. So it's it's certainly possible. We have the technology. Absolutely. It's all, we have the, you know, we have all of this already. It's just making sure that we're actually investing in that. Absolutely. And, and pushing for that. So I know um, myself and quite a few people who volunteer in and around the radio station have a uh, very strong belief that all new homes and buildings should be mandated to have solar panels. I think that would be a very good way of starting. Um, so, again, just um, my last sort of question before we launch into talking about the climate strikes and global protesting is over the last few weeks and months, in obviously in relation to the bushfires that have sort of been crippling the New England region and the state as a whole, and the um, drought that is still ongoing, uh, despite you know it's been going on for the last two years, we're not really seeing, not really seeing any uh, potential signs of that coming to an end anytime soon. We've seen a lot of reactions from both politicians and media moguls, such as obviously Scott Morrison, our current prime minister, mm-hmm. Gladys Berejiklian, the New South Wales premier, Barnaby Joyce, the member for New, the federal member for New England, and Michael McCormack, the deputy prime minister. There has been a lot of, I guess resistance to the idea of climate change being linked to the current environmental issues that we're currently facing, the bushfires, the drought, et cetera, et cetera. Why do you think there is such a large resistance to climate change from a governmental perspective? Oh, it's a great question. And listening to, and to some of the comments that have been made by some of our politicians and, and reading some of the, the things that have been written, it, it just kind of boggles my mind. It does, That Absolutely. anyone can still be saying that we, that we don't have a problem and these things aren't linked. Um, I guess the problem is if you, you're going to admit that there's a linkage there, you've got to commit to taking action, don't you? Yeah. So the first step to not having to do that is to not admit that just there's a link it. in the just first. Deny just deny. Just keep denying. But, yeah, even seeing yesterday uh, the article, uh, I think it was the one in, one in The Guardian that I was reading, and, yeah, Scott Morrison again saying, no, there's no link between between the bushfires and, and climate change. Well, tell you what, there's a heck of a lot of scientists out there that beg to differ. Mm-hmm. Um, and I think that maybe their opinion should hold a little bit more weight Absolutely. in this situation. Because there seems to be sort of, there seems to have been a little bit of a switch in regards to climate change is now being labelled as a political issue rather than an urgent environmental issue, which is incredibly frustrating and very quite maddening. I um, I obviously have a little bit of a uh, an interest in politics, have done for a while. And even I find, I find it hard to uh, continue to read more and more of the same because reading what people, what our politicians have been mm-hmm. saying in regards to climate change and the link is quite frustrating. You have Deputy Prime Minister Michael McCormack uh, completely dismissing the link altogether and labelling the actions of those that would 
say that there's a link is disgusting. You had Gladys Berejiklian saying that now is not the time to talk about climate change. <laughs> if now's not the time to talk about it, when is? I was going to say it's scary to think, okay, so when are you going to say that there is? Yeah, when, are, when of, are we going to be allowed to talk about this? When the entire state is on fire. Um, <laughs> Scott Morrison, of course, famously bringing a lump of coal into parliament. And probably the most disgusting was Barnaby Joyce um, claiming that those individuals who have died in the last few months in relation to the bushfires were Greens voters, which was yeah. disgusting on a number of different it re- levels. It really is. And I, I think there is... Um, there is a, a lot of that that you even hear, and even in our own community, you, you know, you hear people going, "Oh, oh, only people that care about the environment. It's just all of these hippies and greenies or whatever." You know what? Most of us are just ordinary, everyday people. I don't think anyone would look at me and go, "Wow, she's some kind of <laughs> crazy hippie or something." You know, the everyday ordinary person really does care. And we're looking at now. I was reading um, something just a couple of days ago, which was. Um, said about 84% of people now recognise that we really need action on yeah. climate change. And it's like one of our number one issues when it comes in term to politics. So I think I was reading the same study, actually, come yeah. to think of it. So while our government continues to frustrate with inaction on climate change, thankfully there is some positive signs, namely, and this is where I'm going to bring in the climate strike idea. So the climate strike, uh, for those of you that aren't aware, excuse me, aren't aware of it previously, was an idea that was more or less started by uh, Greta Thunberg, mm-hmm. who is a very now very famous um, Swedish teenager. Now, the general idea behind them was to essentially say, look, this is our future, this is our planet, we are sick and tired of action being continually denied, we're sick and tired of the people who are in charge of not doing anything, so we're essentially, it's essentially like going on strike. Um, and this was... Um, this has been done all over the world. Australia's mm-hmm. had a few now. And the next one is on November 29, which uh, there are currently 35 events that have been listed. Uh, every capital city has one. There's ones in Armidale all the way down to Wollongong, Toowoomba, Newcastle, all the, uh, cities all across the country, which is really inspiring and uplifting to see. Yeah. And remember, not just across the country, but across the world. Oh, of course, so, yeah. Yeah, just that's just in Australia. That, that, and I should, happening I, everywhere else. I should specify those 35 events aren't across the world. That is across Australia alone. Yeah. The, um, and the general principle of the climate strikes, especially the ones in Australia that I was able to do a bit of research on, was to uh, commit to no new coal, oil or gas projects, which is what you said previously, which is good, including the Adani mine, which is proving to be very controversial even now. 100% renewable energy and exports by 2030, which is in terms of the amount of time that would take, not a very long time, but as we've already established, action needs to be taken, action needs to be taken very drastically. And finally, funding for a just transition and jobs for fossil fuel workers and communities, which is again something that I think is very important in regards to making sure that renewable energy and jobs in renewable energy continue to be feasible into the future. Yeah, it is. It is a real concern because that, you know, there are going to be a lot of people who are impacted by these kind of changes. Yes. And I can completely understand why there's a lot of fear around that and a lot of uncertainty around that. And when people are scared, they don't want to be making changes and they're not open to that. Absolutely. So I think it's, it is really important that we need to do these, make these transitions, but we do need to do it in a way that um, is, is just. Absolutely. So, of course, the climate strikes are led by students and they are described as nonpartisan, decentralized, inclusive, nonviolent, ambitious, and most of all, mission focused, which is exactly what you want a protest to be, realistically. And reactions to the climate strike have been mixed. Um, generally, people, I don't want to simplify too much, but generally, people um, who are more 
liberal and more left-leaning in their political ideology have been praising these movements, mm-hmm. have been you know, praising the idea behind it, have been supportive, whereas those towards the right have generally tended to be more critical. They've been using comments such as, um, if you want to strike, do it on the weekends, uh, which I feel is a very, it's a very clever yet very dismissive uh, way of sort of brushing the whole strike movement off. Well, given that a strike is supposed to be in any form of protest, it's exactly. supposed to be disruptive. It's, That's the it's, whole idea yeah. of a strike. Um, you've also seen comments such as uh, the strikes are no different to truancy and should be punished just the same. That's something that I've certainly seen a lot of, especially in Australia, interestingly enough. So obviously, as somebody that does that it has such a good background in climate and has so involved in I guess, the discussion around climate change, at least from a uh, personal and professional level. Do you think that, do you agree with the notion that striking is simply a waste of teaching time and school time? Not at all. I don't think it's a waste of teaching time, a waste of school time. I mean, (laughs) I've seen so many comments around, oh, kids are just going to get a day off school or it's just a waste of their time or whatever. Mm Mm-hmm. When, when do we actually learn the most? Is it always necessarily sitting in the classroom or is it when we actually are getting out and getting involved in Absolutely things? Not. You know, that idea. Kids now, the kids that are involved in these kind of strikes, they, they probably know more about climate change than I do because it's something that they're really becoming engaged with. What's more valuable? Is it maybe an hour sitting in a classroom or is it actually getting out and, and having a focus on the future um, and learning to to engage in discussion, learning to become involved in politics. You know, there's so many skills that they're actually learning from becoming involved in these kind of protests that I think is probably a lot more valuable than that one hour that they might spend in a class that day. Well said, absolutely. Um, I certainly agree with you there. Now, the other question I was going to ask in relation to the climate strike and the reactions around it, obviously most of the uh, people, most of the negative criticism and the negative uh, words and negative support for this event have come from older generations. Again, I don't mean to generalise because that's certainly not the case 100% of the time, but you certainly see a large proportion of the criticism coming from people that are maybe, you know, 55, 65 and up, et cetera, et cetera, whereas a lot more support comes from people that are younger, 18 to 30, you know, those younger sort of ages. Why do you think the reactions to the climate strikes have been split down these generational lines? To be honest, I'm not sure that they really have. Okay. Um, I think perhaps what we've seen in the media has been split along those lines. But in places like our local community, uh, the people that I've been involved with with here and a lot of people that are helping to organise um, this strike and, and the people that were petitioning our local council for um, to declare a climate emergency, a lot of these people are older Australians. Mm. Which, is ex- which is good to see. Yeah, so I think I think the young younger generations, I think we're have more growing up with um, this understanding of um, climate change. It's it's something that they are sort of being taught from a younger age. So I think it's something that there's a lot of awareness of. Mm. But I think a lot of older Australians um, are realising how much things are changing. They've actually seen and experienced a lot of those changes themselves. And they are really concerned about the future for, for their children, for their grandchildren and what that's going to look like. So I think although in the media we might have seen more of a portrayal of that split between generations. I think if you come to sort of the the grassroots community events, I'm not sure that we really actually see that. It's what the media does very well, is portraying a very simple us versus them mentality. And I think the us versus them, that serves a purpose, right? It does, absolutely. It absolutely does. 
Um, so in regards to the, we've seen, like I said, we've seen numerous climate strikes in the past. Australia had one earlier this year. We think we've had multiple this year, as a matter of fact. There's been a couple, yeah. Um, and the general numbers, the turnout is actually very, very good. Mm-hmm. I believe the first one in Australia had in total over 50,000 students. Again, I will stand corrected and I apologize if that number is wrong. And I believe the second one attracted a similar figure and from what uh, we've seen in regards to the reactions and the support for the November 29th event. It looks like we could be experiencing another very, very large number up in that ballpark or potentially even higher. Do you think that this number of, or this large amount of support, if it continues to gain traction, if it continues to gain numbers, do you think that in the future this could almost force the hand of governmental policy to take action and listen to what those students are saying? Well, that's that's the point, isn't that's it? That's the idea, That's absolutely. the whole idea. Um, I think for the last one, which was in September, I think there was like 7 million people worldwide yeah. were out on those strikes. It was, an, it was so a monumentally large number. Huge amounts of people that are that are getting up and, and making their voice heard. We saw even, you know, in Armidale, uh, the last strike, there was over 1,000 people turned up, which is huge for a community of our size. That's, yeah. that's a huge amount of people coming out. And we saw action in our local community as a result of that. So I think the we all kind of have this ability to stand up and make our voice heard and this is one of the ways that we can do that and i think the more we keep putting that pressure on that is when things can change so i I do think that these strikes they keep going absolutely certainly have an impact absolutely i would have actually attended the one in september but i wasn't um i was i wasn't in town so (laughs) um the another this may seem a bit of a softball question but i wanted to ask it anyway um do you think that the number of bushfires that are currently obviously burning in the New England region, the devastating fire in Ebor, the fires burning in Tenterfield. Do you think that given that we are currently experiencing, I'd say I'd say probably the biggest impact of the drought and the bushfires at present in regards mm-hmm. to the country, do you think that will increase the turnout for the strike on the 29th? sure i think it could go either way mm. um i think that certainly the the current situation has really opened a lot of people's eyes and and the thing is we, when it comes to things like social change one of the drivers of that is people having personal experience and right now the people in our communities are having that personal experience they're they're seeing firsthand the results of, of climate change and you know people people have lost so much and people are really hurting so i think that could really uh, motivate a lot of people to turn up but at the same time, there's a lot of people that are still being impacted who yeah. who won't have that ability to, to take that time. There, no, they physically won't be able to get there. There's a lot of people who are who are going to be at home protecting properties and all of these kind of things. So, um, I think for those who are able, it will maybe um, spur them to come along and, and join in. Yeah, um, I agree. I hope so. Um, I've done a little bit more um, research in regards to, I guess, sort of local events around Armadale, and I re- and I um, noticed that you were actually doing some speaking events in regards to climate change at Naram and areas around there. Do you have anything coming up? Um, any sort of, I guess, talks or seminars? Um, not at the moment. So last night was actually when I, I had a little event at Naram, which was really yes. lovely. So. Um, a couple of weeks ago at the Black Gully Festival, um, I got people to come along and contribute to a, a bit of a community art project. Wonderful. So we had all these squares of fabric and people were able to, to decorate that with either their vision for the future of our environment or their hope for, for the future. Um, and I put that all together into a sort of a giant quilt. Um, oh, that's wonderful. Which is really lovely when you see them all together. And the reason that I wanted to do that was thinking 
all of the news that we're hearing at the moment, everything is very, very negative. Um, you know, there's a lot of despair around around climate change and, and things that are happening here with bushfires and everything else. So I thought it would be nice to bring a little bit of hope. Absolutely. Um, because we do have hope. Um, I, I refuse to give up hope. Absolutely. Um, no, never. We have so many solutions. We just need the action to really help put those into place. So... Uh, so yeah, that was that was really lovely, and it was really nice to see a good turnout of people last night. And um, yeah, of course, I'm hoping that we might be able to see this quilt around town in various places that, so that more people can enjoy it. So he's hoping. Yeah, we're going to look into that now. And Apolog- <laughs> apologies to our listeners, that was someone accidentally banging something on the windows of our studio. Um, so <laughs> it was not a climate change protest. No, it wasn't. <laughs> we're not getting protested. Uh, we're not getting uh, deniers protesting us uh, this talk. So, and it's interesting that you bring up the whole idea of hope because obviously um, it can look very bleak at the moment, especially around regional areas where, you know, day zero is on the horizon. It's no longer something that is an impossibility or something that could never happen. It is now potentially coming to reality. We've just seen, obviously, um, our the Christmas, the Christmas in the mall, the Beatrice mm. Mall being postponed because of what's going on. And I think, like you said, it is important to keep up hope and keep... Um, not necessarily good spirits, not you know blissful, blissfully good spirits, but keep in perspective that in regards to what is currently going on, the droughts, the bushfires, whatnot, they will pass. Mm-hmm. The Millennium Drought, for instance, lasted 14 years before the La Nina in 2011 finally you know gave us the rain that we needed. So every day that passes is a day closer to rain and relief, which I think is something to keep in mind. And I want to say a huge thank you again to Dr. Mary McKillen for coming on and having this chat to us. It's been um, quite enjoyable. It's been very insightful. And with a bit of luck, we will speak with her again in the future. I just want to um, leave you with a bit of a, the, a hypothetical question and for our listeners as well to ponder this. Given that Al Gore, obviously you went to Al Gore's event in January, given that Al Gore is very, very um, involved in climate change, activism in bringing awareness to climate change, Al Gore very famously lost the 2000 election <laughs> by a very, very narrow margin. Do you think we would still be seeing such a large resistance to the idea of climate change now if that election had gone the other way? Oh, that is a really good question. Um, and actually some comments that I've heard him make himself is that what he's doing now, he wouldn't probably have done if he'd won that election. Mm-hmm. So in a way, what's come out of losing has actually been something great. Absolutely. So, uh, yeah, I think things would have would have certainly been different, but... Yeah, yeah, I'm not sure that we would have seen this kind of action if he had it once. Exactly. So. Sometimes a bad thing can, I guess, bring positive yeah. results. And obviously, like we've seen the US pull out of the Paris Agreement, there's there's rumblings that some people in Australia want to do the same thing. I would strongly disagree with that sentiment, <laughs> but there you go. Um, I'm hoping that, I guess, in the, in the future, say, five, ten years, when, say, for instance, you know, governments change, as they often do, parties change, with a bit of luck, we will see, I guess, a return to a more reasoned approach to climate change rather than just denying any links and denying that mm. action is necessary. And I guess that with a bit of luck, these strikes that continue to happen, such as the event on November 29, will influence this and bring about potentially that change that we desperately need That we, um, in regards to taking action on something that could well prove to be the biggest issue of this generation's time. I hope so too. (laughs) Thank you again, Dr. McKillen, for joining us. Um, We will hopefully speak to you in the future. And for all of our listeners that have been listening to this interview, um, you will be able to listen to it again because it will be podcasted in the next few hours. 
Um, I want to leave you as well just with the thought to, while things do seem bleak at the moment, they're not going to stay that way forever. And so don't give up hope. Um, To borrow a very famous expression, keep calm and carry on. For the now, however, we're going to move into some more music to get you through the rest of your day. We're going to start with So Am I by Ava Max here on Tune FM 106.9. Once again, Dr. McKillen, thank you again for joining us for this interview.